So we've come to Matthew 24, cha uh, chapter 24, verse 4. Um, the disciples have asked the question, and we remember, we remember that they have absolutely no perspective of the gap of time between the ascension of Christ and, of course, Pentecost from the time of Pentecost until the time of the ushering in of the 70th seven week of Daniel. Sometimes I'm afraid people may discount the importance of, uh, well, any part of the Bible, but those, those 77 year periods are clearly divided between 69 and 70. There's a clear division in Daniel between the first 69 and the 70th. Now, they couldn't have known what that meant back in those days, in Daniel's day. It was a mystery. But uh, with the teaching of Christ here and then the sending of the Holy Spirit, and of course, Christ's teaching uh, his disciples in those 40 days post post-resurrection, pre-ascension, uh, it becomes a little clearer. Although we saw last night in Acts chapter 1, they still were, <laughs> I mean, you know, what was he going to do? Run up to heaven and then come right back and start the kingdom? I don't know. I just, uh, but they asked the question, is it now that you're going to start the kingdom? <clears throat> so it takes, it takes really Christ's teaching them in his post-resurrection body and the sending of the Holy Spirit. But you and I have the privilege of having lived in an era that surely is the latter time of the Christian age. And I would say this, this is just a personal observation. It's an opinion and everybody has one. It would seem to me <clears throat> that uh, there is more counterfeit Christianity today than than at most other times in uh, in Christian history, but at the same time, there's some of the greatest teaching in Christianity that we've ever seen. Um, men called to preach and to teach have resources that were never available before uh, until now. So, the same thing that gives rise to counterfeit Christianity also gives rise. Uh, to great teaching and great proclamation and, and great preaching. So uh, the key, however, is in verse four. If you look up there and Jesus answered and he's answering their question. See to it that no one deceives you. Christ starts with uh, deception. Don't be deceived. He says in math, if you look at all Three accounts in the Gospels of the uh, Olivet Discourse, they all three include the warning of deception. Matthew 24, 4, we see it here. Mark 13, 5, see to it that no one misleads you. Uh, and then verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many. And then Luke 21 and verse 8, he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. 
Do not go after them. So false Christs, um, improper false teaching uh, about the coming of Christ. And, and of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a teaching that just for, for fearful and thoughtful Christians, and when I say fearful, I don't mean bad. That's not a bad thing. To be, to be fearful of the Lord, to be in reverential awe of God, and to long to be ready when Christ comes. Those are important attitudes for a Christian. Uh, and, of course, the growth, our growth in Christianity teaches us that we're totally in his hand. I mean, it really doesn't depend on us. The Spirit of God leads us uh, more and more into what we should be as we mature as Christians. Um, but also, we learn more and more that it's not dependent on us. That said, we still both rejoice and somewhat tremble over the coming of Christ, coming again of Christ, because he is, he's God, accommodated, having been accommodated or having accommodated himself to his creation. And we're going to see in this, in this uh, lesson today how we, we don't sometimes don't have the proper appreciation of what the glorious second coming will be. Uh, and of course, Christ, Christ will teach it. So deception is his first warning. And there, there, have, there has been so much deception in Christianity. One thing that'll anger you and break your heart all at the same time is, is to read the era before the Reformation when Rome controlled the souls of people. They wouldn't let them learn to read. Men who could read and translated the Bible from the original text into well, into English in the first, well, it was translated into Latin. Roman church was part of that. But then to translate it into English, for example, those guys were, were cruelly tortured and killed because they made the Bible available in, uh, in the language of the people so they could read it, having not studied in, in, among the English people, especially having not studied, you know, not everybody has the opportunity to study Greek and Hebrew, but uh, you can learn something about with the coming of the printing press, the ability to read became more profound. And Rome really tried to lock that down because they wanted to control people's theology. They wanted to control their souls. They wanted them to believe that they could consign them to hell or excommunicate them from the church, not ever being a part of the church again. They would have to go to hell and all that kind of stuff. What deception there was. Now, of course, there were the, let's see, what were they called? They were called uh, Waldensians and the Paulensians and the, the Anabaptists and so forth. There's that, there's, there was always that, that lineage. And you go back, I'm probably getting off the subject here, but I don't care. Um, I'm making a point. I'm searching for a point to be made. 
there were the Christians at Antioch and there were the in early church and there were those at Alexandria. And if you study the history of those two root churches way back in the early church, you'll see that the philosophy of studying Christianity and studying the Bible took two paths. One path was the Antioch path and they studied the Bible literally. So I guess I'm an Antioch Christian. They took the Bible literally. In Alexandria, the Alexandrian Christians took it more uh, spiritually, you know. It doesn't, you know, we look at this and we see what, what that says, but in the general scheme of things, this is what it's talking about. Well, that's the Alexandria. Okay, so that that in the in the due course of time becomes what we would call liberal Christianity. Um, and the other is conservative Christianity. Now, somewhere in all of that, were the group, those groups of pastors and, and so forth where they were careful to teach. And it was the disciples of the disciples. You're talking about second generation Christians. They were the disciples of the, of the disciples. Uh, John, for example, had several uh, disciples who were important in the early church. Uh, but anyway, the... Uh, the following of that, you have these who continue to teach the literal, the literal, what the what the Bible literally means, and those others could play with it kind of any way that they wanted to. And this is where the Romans come in, the Roman Christians, or the Roman Church. I learned something several years ago in studying Romanism or Roman Catholicism, and some of you may have come out of Catholicism, and you might can help me understand why. Roman Catholics don't call themselves Christians. They call themselves Catholics. I don't know how many times you go up to a Catholic and say, I'm a Christian. Maybe going to witness to somebody and they'll say, well, I'm Catholic. That, you know, that's, that's their response. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that means, really. I hadn't really chased it down. Uh, but I'm, I, maybe I need to go find me a, a priest and just ask him. Why, do, why would somebody say he's a Catholic when I say he's a Christian? Now, I did, I will confess, I had a wonderful friend who was a, a Roman Catholic priest. He was a Monsignor. He was the priest of the church where Susan Hayward is buried. Maybe you've heard of that name, Susan Hayward, the actress. She was Mrs. Charles McCarthy. That was her name. That's how she's buried. But she's in that beautiful church. I used to raise Irish wolfhounds. And I would put an ad in the Atlanta Journal. This is back in the 70s. And he saw that ad, and he had Irish wolf hands. He was an Irish. He had the brogue. You know, he was an Irishman. And he was a good bit older than me. He's probably younger than I am now, but he sure looked old to me back then. <laughs> and uh, he had all kind of animals. He had uh, donkeys and all kind of unique animals there at his, I don't know what they call it. I'd call it a parsonage, but it was this house this cottage out next to the church and uh, he knew he found out that I was a pastor we talked on the phone oh well my dear brother and he called me his brother you know and he's the sweetest fellow and <laughs> as an aside he came to visit us and all of my wolfhounds one time and I lived in the pastorium next to the church I pastored and he just, he, that's where he first met my children. Now, Pat and I had already met him at his place 
but he came and met our children. They were all, let's see, I had all of them. They were all there. Uh, like a swarm of ants or something, I don't know. But they were all real little. They're just like two years apart between all of them. They're just real little. And he got out and played with them a little bit in the yard. And, and uh, oh, he just, he'd hug them and he'd call their names. And uh, let's see, Amanda. Oh, Amanda must be loved. That's what her name means. Must be loved. Jessica, you are little Jesus. And all this kind of, you know, he, he just, oh, he carried on and, and ran around, played with him in the front yard. Later on, we found out when I went to see him again, he asked me while we were there, he said, Ah, my dear brother, do you think that you have to be baptized to be saved? I said, no, I don't believe that. God saves us. And then in, in the best and most timely fashion, we are obedient to the command of Christ. But if I die of a stroke on, on the way up the steps to the baptistry, I'm a saved man. You know, it's God who saves me. It's not the water. Huh? But I said, what about what Caleb? Uh, we think you have to be baptized and we baptize them as infants because it's such an important thing. Later on, he told me this is about our third time we got together. and He was real pensive and kind of ashamed. He said, I must tell you something. I said, what is it? You remember our discussion on baptism? I said, oh, yeah. Dear Charles, dear Charles, I baptized your children. <laughs> I said, you what? How'd you do that? Well, I carry holy water and I, 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 I baptized your children. I said, well, I guess they're covered any, any way they're supposed to get there. I, I don't know. Um... But we went in, he said, I want us to pray together. I said, that's great. That's great. And so we go into his church. I got to think about this. I don't know if that's the first time I'd ever been in a Roman Catholic church or not, but it's kind of spooky. When you, when you go into one, they're kind of spooky. And there was a statue of Mary, as I found out. Let's see. The church was, the name of the church was Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Catholic Church. That's the name of the church. It's in Temple, Georgia. If you ever want to go see where Susan Hayward is buried, <laughs> you go to that church. It's pretty, it was back then, very lovely and beautiful graveyard. So we go in to pray. And the first thing he does is he pops down on his knees and gives the sign, you know. And I didn't want to be irreverent if, if there's such a thing. And we went up there and I did, of course, I didn't do that. And he got in what I would call the altar. So I knelt over there with him and he prayed. And then I had a prayer. We came out and I said, you know, I don't want to be rude to you. I told him, I said, I love you. And I'm, right now I'm thinking of you as a Christian brother. But I said, that's idolatry, man. That's bowing to a stand. Oh, no, we, we. And he tried to explain it to me. I said, well, we just don't do that. You know, we do. We just we just don't do that. We don't sit that way uh, at all. And I told him, I said, you know, we can pray anywhere. We don't have to go through a ritual or whatever. But we were good friends anyway. And uh, I, I couldn't help. Uh, this led me into a 
study of Roman, a little more of a study than I had ever. My, my daddy just didn't like Catholics. Okay. I said it. Uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he was a Baptist preacher. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He just didn't want to have uh, he'd seen the priests get. I've seen a priest get drunk when I was in Aniston. I, he he was this big, huge fundraiser for all the community leaders were there to plead with people to give money. Had all the deep pocket people there at this big thing. I don't know what we're raising money for, but uh, the priest they asked him to say a word. No, he's going to pray. I forgot what he was going to do. He staggered up. They kind of had to help him. You remember that when that priest was drunk in Aniston. <laughs> Um, I mean, he couldn't hardly stand up. He drove a Corvette. And I thought, well, life must be good in the Roman Catholic Church. So anyway, my my daddy, you know, he was a, obviously a teetotaler. <laughs> I'll give you a story. I'm refreshed. I'm telling stories this morning. <laughs> I should just stick to the... My daddy was very, very young. He was called. He was saved when he was 15, called to preach when he was 16. Very serious. I mean, it's just serious. Um, you might get a joke out of him once a year in the pulpit. I don't know. His favorite joke was because every time he preached, he pulled his watch off and put it on the pulpit. And he said, you know, there were two little boys sitting down there. When a preacher did this one time, and one little boy said to the other, he said, what does that mean? And the other little boy said, nothing. <laughs> but my daddy, this is, I don't know if my brothers were born yet or if they were just very, very young, but he worked in the Republic Steel, and the Republic Steel company had this big shindig where they would uh, play bingo. And I don't know if Dave ever played bingo in his life. I don't know. But they brought around little Dixie cup things. <laughs> and they brought it to Daddy. Mother is the one who'd tell this story. Daddy would be too embarrassed to tell it, I guess. Little Dixie cup. And the woman would say, sir, here's your corn. And he thought it was corn liquor. <laughs> corn whiskey. And Mother said he hit that cup. <laughs> With the back of his hand, <laughs> and corn kernels flew everywhere. <laughs> You're supposed to put corn kernels on the numbers they call. <laughs> My mother's name was Geneva. Geneva, it's time for us to leave. <laughs> so he, you know, you, you, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, uh, he, uh, he was careful anyway, but. Uh, Roman Roman Catholics took great liberty, and they created their own theology. And there's the the those those symposiums they had in the Nicene, anti-Nicene, post-Nicene, Father, the Council of 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 the, the the Nicene Council, and you can read their history where they came up with these new doctrines like Mariolatry, the doctrine of the Mother of God, Mary. Uh, all these other doctrines, and uh, I've forgotten a lot of that. It's been so many years ago. I was talking, telling them about what a great guy uh, Monsignor was, you know, Mick, 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 Michael Regan, Mike, Mike Regan, and how he secretly baptized our kids. Oh, I baptized, I baptized your children. Uh, be careful. Just be careful. Yeah, just be careful. I guess he's afraid we were so rough. We wasn't going to let him get raised to the age of accountability or whatever. Uh, but anyway, he loved him. 
He did. He loved our kids. He loved my dogs, too. Um, here was this vast period of Christian history where so many people were within the so-called church were just in darkness. And the leaders of the church would not let them study for themselves. That's why, really, the, the printing press and then the Reformation became so important because you see what happened once the printing press came about and not long after that and we studied this some years ago right after I'd come here we studied the history of the church I don't know if anybody probably everybody's dead that was in that class <laughs> uh, how long have I been here I don't know um, but in that class um, we studied how uh, with the Reformation, when people could read and see what it all said, really, the Pope began to lose his power over the kings of the nations, in Europe especially. And he became diminished in his authority over, over, uh, over nations. Jesus addresses that here. See that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, will deceive many. Okay, so his great warning is deception, which is, in the way that it's written here, is a continuing possibility throughout the age that's about to be inaugurated, which is the time of the church. And a dominant factor throughout our age as Christians is the progression or the procession of deceit and uh, confusion. People, people are easily confused. I don't, know, I don't know how. I've been a pastor long enough to have been through these eras of Christianity. And a lot of this happened when they started showing stuff on television. Uh, and people would look at whatever they saw on the TV screen, and ju that's true. That's the way it is. You know, people like the you know uh, Benny Hinn and all these people and stuff that would happen and things they would teach and so forth. And <clears throat> if it happened on TV and it was a religious show, that it happened. It really happened. I mean, you, I can't. It's hard for me to even watch a movie without thinking of just off the camera here, these four or five guys controlling the lights and these guys are controlling the sound. There's a director here and there's all these people ready to run in there and fix somebody's hair if they have to cut and you have to run in there and fix them. It's kind of hard when you're watching these real powerfully emotional scenes and you're thinking, you know, that must be hard with all these other people standing around watching you like this. Well, it would be that way on anything that you see on television. I have been on uh television several several years ago uh, i was at first baby Southside, that, that big tv sh uh, big tv um station in montgomery and they were uh, an affiliate of uh, whatever the pto club was part of and uh what cbn, CBN is that what it was i, f I forgot um they asked me, and that was in the days when I still wore suit and ties and combed my hair. I had hair, and I, and I combed it. So I went down there, 
I never seen the station. I mean, it was a long way from Southside to Montgomery. And I don't even know how, how they came to invite me to that thing. And so I had this 30-minute, this guy had this show, 30-minute show, and he was going to talk to me about stuff. And obviously, I didn't give him the answers, I guess, that he wanted because I was never invited back. <laughs> um, but uh, <clears throat> it's a... It was a big deal early on. I'm not sure somebody can correct me because I'm I'm very limited on what what I watch on television now. But I'm not sure that the quote Christian TV close quote is as big of a deal now as it was. I don't know. I think, and I will tell you why. I think it's because with the with, with the rise of the internet, you have real teaching all over the world. You know. Uh, and that that causes other things to sort of wither and withdraw. That said, still, deception is a very, very strong uh, possibility, and this is why it's Christ's first warning, what's going to happen. Now, he says counterfeit Christ's counterfeit, and then that would lead to counterfeit Christianity, which would lead to propagation of false cults, calling themselves Christians and calling it Christianity. But as I said last night, everything there will center on the doctrine of Christ. If you have a biblical doctrine of Christ and you take it literally, then you don't have any problems. However, if you take away from that or add to it or change it up in any way, that, that is a problem. Um, now, Christ then is saying here, and I'll read the whole thing. Coming, I am the Christ will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for those things must take place. That's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. What Christ just said there is that there's going to be a long era of large scale conflict and human suffering in the world and there's no way that what he just said could happen quickly. You'll notice he speaks in the future tense. For many will come. You will hear. Uh, those things must take place. Nation will rise. It wasn't happening yet on the scale of which Christ spoke. It's going to happen. So he's. He's telling them that what you're thinking in your mind is not yet. That's what he's telling them. So in uh, verse, let's see, verse uh, six, see that you're not alarmed. In the Greek text, you could also say, see, see that this doesn't scare you. This is why, you know, I don't care at what point in time and what age we may live in and, and the church has been around for 2,000 years. We are in Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. We rest in Christ. And one of Christ's great uh, proclamations to us was that we're not to be afraid. Do not fear. Everything's taken care of. 
Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. For these things are going to have to take place, but that's not yet the end. Mark says it this way in verse 7, 13, 13th chapter. When you hear wars, rumors of wars, don't be frightened. Those things must take place. They must take place, but that's not yet the end. W.A. Crystal used to preach on this passage, and he would, he would focus on that. And he said, right here where it says wars, rumors of wars, they must take place. And he would, he would raise his eyes from the scriptures, and he would say to his people there at First Baptist Dallas, he would say, this is why I'm a proponent of a strong national defense because there's going to be wars and we should be prepared. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Mark says, earthquakes in various places, also famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Luke says it this way. 21 verse 9 when you hear wars and disturbances do not be terrified for these things must take place but the end does not follow immediately then he continued by saying to them the uh, nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom and there'll be great earthquakes in various places plagues and famines so looking back up here at uh, Matthew he says also famines and earthquakes in various places now that of course is a reference to the fact that these things will happen on a global scale but in 33 AD how is anybody going to know that these things are happening on a global scale they can't know Uh, first of all they didn't even know that the western hemisphere existed right they never received any cultural exchange from the Far East. Never happened. So it's, uh, it's it, it, Christ references a time when these things are, uh, can be easily affirmed. Plagues around the world, famines around the world. I mean, were, were we kept informed of COVID or not, right? Uh if true or not, still it was there. We have a, I have an app, an earthquake app, and if I, I've told you this before, if I turned on the banners and six uh, signals from it, it sounds like a doorbell. You would think, you would think that all I had was company all day long because every it would ring every time there's an earthquake in the world, and it would just it would ring constantly all the time. So Christ references a time when people can know what's happening around the world. Uh, deception and, uh, and so forth. A long era of large-scale conflict and human suffering. Point being, the kingdom age was not immediate for the disciples, Christ refutes here the doctrine of post-millennialism because he says things are going to get worse. That's what he says. Uh, They're not going to get better because he says at the end of it, this is just the beginning of birth pangs. Now, when those things all converge and we're practically there now and it's on a global scale, that's the initiation of of birth pangs. Now, there's, here's the thing about a birth pain. I've never had one, but I've read about them. 
And I've observed, I've, I've observed Pat four times. It starts out like, <laughs> this is Pat. Anyway, it was like, yeah, kind of like, you know, ooh. You all right? Yeah, okay. Fine, fine. I remember our first one. I like to half killed her getting into the. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, I'm still ashamed of that. I hope. It's a wonder Amanda lived. Um, but I can tell you this I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, that kind of doctor. But birth pangs don't don't begin in, in a healthy pregnancy. They don't come until the end of it, right? It's when it's time to birth something. So Christ says this is just the beginning of birth pains. Now this, this is giving introduction to the seven years. Christ must allude to the long period of time from where they are. Now, this 69th seven-year period comes to an end with the murder of, of the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's in Daniel's writing. Um, Messiah will be cut off. <coughs> He'll be murdered and will receive nothing. He won't, he won't step into the kingdom on earth as the, as the king at that point. That signals the close of the 69th seven-year period. So they're still in that 69th seven-year period when Christ speaks of this, but the 70th seven-year period is the era of the birth pains. That's the time of coming into delivery. And of course, that which is to be delivered is the glorious second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom on planet earth. So what Christ has just generalized here is he has told them that there's going to be general turmoil in the world for a long time, which will create human suffering everywhere. There will be continuing wars and struggles between Gentile powers and the horrors and the misery of wars will keep going on. There will be natural disasters, calamities, pestilences, famines, all of it giving a deceitful belief I throw this in there that it disproves the existence of a benevolent God. And of course, we know that's not true because Christ said this is what's going to happen. It's it's leading up to a time of the establishment of the kingdom, but before that, human sin has to reach an apex and be completely and absolutely judged by uh, the great Judge. So they're not, what he's telling them is that they're not to be led astray. Don't be, don't be deceived. Peace in the world is touted among nations apart from the word of God. And you see, it's a good thing if, it's a good thing I'm not the president. Don't ever, don't ever vote for me. We'll be in a nuclear war before the sun goes down. Um. The failure of the age is laid completely at the feet of man and never, and never to God, other than God has a purpose that cannot be stopped. But it shows the ruin of man. It shows that we can't fix it ourselves. We can't do it. So Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, don't be frightened. 
And this is further proof of his deity in the sense that he can tell them everything is under control. Now we get to verse 9. What we're looking at here, this section is, is going through uh, verse 14. This, this section we're in now. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. And they'll kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. False prophets will arise, deceive many because lawlessness is multiplied. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom should be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness uh, to the nations. All right, let's, let's think about this now, these verses. 9 through uh, 9 through 14 the this this part has to do with the tribulation can you see that then the, these are the beginning of birth pangs this goes right into the tribulation so the birth pangs get worse and closer together if you read the book of the Revelation, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls of wrath, you will, you will understand and get the sense that it starts off, you know, in the first three and a half years. And then it kind of picks up in intensity and things get closer together. But then when those bowls of wrath, those things could probably be poured out in a very brief period of time, uh, which, will, which will lead uh, to the coming of uh, of the Lord. So Christ says to them here, those are the beginning of birth pains, but then comes the tribulation. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking about Israel here. They'll kill you. Zechariah 9 through 14, very clear about that. How the, really the forces of the Gentile forces under the leadership of the Antichrist, they, they're going after. Once he sets himself up as God in the temple that he allowed the Jews to build, He's after the Jews. He's after them wherever they are. Uh, so, so he, uh, in in pursuit of the Jews, it's they, he kills them. So not uh, not all of the uh, not all of them are going to make it uh, alive to the end of the tribulation, and that's what Jesus is. Uh, is saying here at that time many will fall away now let me go up here to the Greek text uh, fall away that is a long Greek word but at the middle of in the at the centerpiece of the word is to scandalize okay so they'll betray one another fall away they'll scandalize and then betray one another and hate one another uh, there'll be those who will think in say they think they can save their lives by identifying Jews or, or whatever. So here Christ warns them that Israel will be in dire trouble in great danger when the tribulation is introduced <clears throat> the 70th seven-year period. He's telling them here that 
There's a law, and it's not his purpose in answering their question to define and describe that long period of time that'll pass before the birth pangs start. That's not, he's answering a specific question in a very uh, specific way. So these are the signs. What are the signs of your coming? So he gives them, okay, here they are. Tribulation starts. Israel will be pursued. Jesus is going to die. They're going to be hated by all nations because of my name. That would also include tribulation saints. Now understand this. It isn't just Israelites who are saved in the tribulation because they are seen coming out of the tribulation from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. So it isn't just it isn't just the Jew. But the but the main emphasis on this whole thing is the 70th week. And those 70 weeks, the angel told Daniel, are determined for the people of Israel. So, you know, they're called tribulation saints. But this but this great salvation that comes is certainly focused uh, in a sense on Israel and comes to fruition at the uh, at the second coming of Christ. Now, many false prophets. So there's going to be a time of great deception. Now think about this because I have never seen such deception in all of my life. It's what I have observed just in the last in the last few years. It's uh uh, it's it's horrifying. Uh, the things I've watched, I've watched political leaders stand up defending their actions, which are in defiance of Scripture, to use Scripture to defend what they did. Um, this uh, that's a false prophet to me. Uh, anybody that tries to teach you something that is in, in total defiance of the word of God. So many are deceived. Therefore, and we're not in the tribulation, but in the tribulation, many are going to be deceived. And you'll see this in the revelation. This, this profound thing happens in the world. And it could only be an act of God. And then the Bible says, and they would not repent. And they would not repent. I call them earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. So uh, it's the, the deception, the false teaching, the false prophets, the deception of many is, is amazing. Because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. Now, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved now, I know what some people will say. Well, they'll say, okay, well, it's, it's up to me. It's not what the Bible says. We have to get in the Greek for us to understand this. So permit me, please. What verse is that? That's verse uh, 13. Okay, here we go. Um, verse 13. Verse 13. However, the one, Hippomeneus, uh, Hippo, I'm sorry, Hippoanus, Having endured, hupomenus, hupomenus, having endured, that's an aorist active, 
it means, okay, if it's active, it's an unstoppable thing, having endured. It's in the aorist, which means it's a one-time thing and it can't be reversed. Having endured, so that's the first proof. But the real proof comes in the verb that's translated will be saved. Hutos, he, sophesate, will be saved. Now that's in the future tense, but it's in a passive voice. This means that the salvation comes upon him from another and he doesn't do it himself. Can you understand that? So when you read this, you have to be sure that you know what is being said here. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. All right. The enduring is an active thing. I will not stop enduring. It's in the active. Okay. That means it's, I can't reverse that. I can't be active and then be, be inactive. Having endured, that's active for the participant, but then will be saved is something that is imposed upon him from someone other than himself. Now, if it was in, in, in the active means that he's active in it, but in the passive means that it's being done to him. So the salvation is being done to him and he is in the active in the endurance because it's proof of who he is and it cannot be made inactive. You understand that? Because it, a lot of people preach what they call endurance salvation or whatever. In other words, oh, you got to, but whose rules are you going to follow to define how good I got to be to endure? It's impossible. You could go to a thousand churches right before the tribulation and everybody would have a thousand different definitions on what you got to do and not do to endure. Well, it's impossible, see. But if you're in Christ, if you're in this case a tribulation saint or you're, you're the one whom, whom God will save from Israel even, the endurance is automatic because it's in the active voice. It's in the active. Will be saved in the future tense and the passive voice. The salvation is imposed. He can't bring salvation to himself. It's impossible according to the language. It has to be placed upon him all right so don't ever let anybody tell you that this uh you once saved always saved creeps i want you to look over here what it says well you know then you can slap him upside the head with the greek and say thou fool okay well maybe not call him a fool my daddy never would let me say that word um that was a bad word of course, so was pregnant. Pregnant was a bad word. I couldn't say it. They would, she's pregnant. That's how my mama used to talk to others. She's pregnant. And if you're ever going to pick up, if, you, if you're a kid and you're ever going to pick up on a word, that's it when your mama whispers. <laughs> so I guess you go to school and I know what I mean. Just say, you're pregnant. If you want to cuss at your friend or something, you wouldn't really know it wasn't a cuss word after all. But <laughs> fool was a bad word in my day. Um, meanwhile, back outside of the temple, um, signs of Christ's coming kill you, tribulation, many fall away. That's, a, that's the scandalous. That's the scandalized. 
Now, there's another, there's another word that's translated to fall away in the New Testament, the Greek. It's apostasis, to apostasis, to stand off from. Uh, you know, many will fall away. That's different. To, apost- to apostatize is different than to scandalize. And this means that these are tattletales out of, out of hell or something. I don't know. To scandalize and betray one another and hate one another. False prophets, false teachers, lawlessness multiplied. You know how bad the world is now, right? You know how bad the world is now. It is exponentially that much worse in the tribulation. Lawlessness. Uh, The whole world really is embroiled in some kind of conflict all the time as the tribulation comes around. Um, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Now, okay, we are not talking about the age of the church here. We have to keep that in mind. We are talking about the 70th seven-year period for Israel. So we we are in pursuit of obedience to the Great Commission, which is to proclaim the good news everywhere to make disciples, right? To go all over the world to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even into the uttermost parts of the world. That's what we're doing. But we, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, a, I don't bet, but if I had, I, I'd lay money down on this if I was a better. There are people in this world who have never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. Um, I'm gonna. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you'd have to really offer me a lot of money for this bet, but um, I'm gonna bet that there are people in Morgan County who have never heard the gospel. Now we do all we can do. We can only do what we can do. We're limited by budget. We're we're limited physically. Can't be everywhere at once. We do what we can do, but we, okay, suppose you're doing the best you can do, and there's this guy in, living in Decatur, never heard the gospel, and in all of his life, nobody ever crosses his path. Well, my point is this. At the closing time of the tribulation, the gospel of what? The kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end comes. Okay. If you look at the Revelation, of course, there are the two witnesses, and the two witnesses have a great effect all over the world, I'm sure, because they'll have at least as good of a TV coverage as what we have today, and I don't know how far in the future that'll be, but that kind of coverage would only improve, I guess. Then you have the 144,000. They're all over the place. But what trumps all of those is that angel in mid-heaven. He's going all over the place. How are you going to feel if you look up and, and an angel? I wish, I, I don't, I know that an angel can look like a human. I see that in the Old Testament, especially it's in the New Testament. But when an angel appears as an angel, what does he look? Man, he's very imposing, I'm sure. How big does he have to be to fill the sky 
to cover one section of the world after the other? I don't know. But he proclaims the gospel all over the world. It says, shall be proclaimed the whole world, and then the end shall come. I think there's a little space of time here left for him to cover the whole world, right? He does it from mid-heaven. In other words, he's up there. He's going to draw He's going to draw attention. Everybody said, oh, I don't want to look at that. Nobody's going to say that. <laughs> They're going to go, huh. Now, what kind of effect with it? The end will not come until finally this proclamation is made as a witness uh, to all nations. All right. Now, the tribulation is what they're delivered into. And Christ makes it very clear here that he is talking about um, the last seven years, the seven years of tribulation. And they are executed and persecuted on account, he says. Look at that. Uh, they are hated because of my name. Anybody associated with the name of Christ? Already this is seen. People despise Jesus. It wasn't that way. I mean, you know, I guess I'm, I'm I, you know, life, I've often thought of it like a, uh, just a conveyor belt, you know. There goes the, that generation, and now I'm next. My mom and daddy's dead, and I'm rolling toward the end of that thing, right? Well, if you roll that back a couple of generations, when I was a kid, people, the name of, we opened with prayer in the name of Jesus, opened school. When I was in the second grade, our teacher had us, I remember this, Miss Chestnut, she went around to every student in that schoolroom. We had to tell our name, what our daddy did, and what church we belonged to, <laughs> where you went to church. That's what you had. To, you, that was that was everybody's pri proud thing to say, you know. Uh, well, can't do that now because people hate the name of Jesus. It, it becomes exponentially worse in the time of uh, of the tribulation. Um, Mark says. You'll stand in the courts. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Now, of course, that happened to the Apostle Paul in a sense. But Christ here is talking about all of his people everywhere in the world. And it happens in the tribulation. Uh, to be offended and scandalized, according to the language here, to be hated and betrayed, according to the language. And Mark puts it this way, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. False teaching. We saw that lawlessness, lovelessness. Uh, we've seen all of that. Now, endurance, we talked about that. Um, worldwide proclamation. Okay, I'm a, we'll take a little break before we get to the next section. Okay, we're at, we're at verse 15 here. Um, it's a, sort of a watershed uh, division at this point. 
Jesus says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand now that when you see that, then certain things you're supposed to do. But before we go there, let me talk about the abomination of desolation. Daniel uh, describes it. I had it written here. Here it is. It's in 24, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Um, the, Daniel says that the abomination of desolation takes place right before the prince who sets up everlasting righteousness, right before final judgment and vengeance. So we're looking at what we would call the great tribulation. It would seem that now the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, the first three and a half years are exponentially worse than anything the world has ever seen. But the last three and a half years are exponentially worse than the first three and a half years, if you can imagine that. So that last three and a half years are really horrible. And it starts when the abomination of desolation occurs, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And that's when the Antichrist um, goes in and uh, he has them to stop their offerings and all that kind of stuff in the temple that he allowed them uh, to, to rebuild. And he sets himself up as God. That's the abomination of desolation. Uh, just to briefly describe it, I'm, I'm going to have to move with force here uh, and clarity and, and focus. Uh, what happens though is we'll see and well let's just keep looking. Right. Let the reader understand of course that means that uh, you have to go back to Daniel the prophet who speaks of the abomination of desolation and you understand that this person sets himself up in that last temple before the kingdom that person who is the the, the one who brings the peace treaty that Daniel speaks of earlier and then he sets himself up as the enemy of, of God's people <clears throat> and now he allow, well, he begins his peace treaty by allowing them to rebuild their temple and to resume their sacrifices and that happens for three and a half years but then in the middle of three and a half years he moves in and somewhere along there he kills the two witnesses and then he moves in and sets himself up as God that's the abomination in their temple. That's the abomination of uh, desolation. And it brings about the worst time in the history of the world. So let's look at it here. Uh, beginning of verse 16. When they see this guy set himself up as God in their temple and he makes them quit doing their sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. This is what Jesus says to them. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So Christ gives them direction uh, 
in this this warning, he tells them exactly when this is going to this great tribulation is to begin. He tells them the the very sign uh, of the beginning of it. He gives them instruction on how they can survive. So. What happens here? Well, that means that those who will flee to the mountains are believers, right? We're going to do what Jesus said. Let me say this. Much of Revelation is not applicable to the church. It's just those people who are in the tribulation. And they're going to have to get their instructions from reading that part uh, I guess from chapters four through the end of nineteen, well through the end of eighteen into nineteen, they're going to have to get their instructions for that. They'll know what's about to happen. They'll look at it. Well, this just happened. That means this next thing is about to happen. And once they once they go to Jesus for their instructions, if you have a Bible and you have Bible maps and you have both testaments, you can see right where you need to go to hide and you'll be safe. W. Blackstone, from, from a, a generation gone by, was a great prophecy scholar. And he detailed exactly where the people of God were to go and hide during the Great Tribulation. At his expense... He buried thousands of, in crates, supposed to be weatherproof, he buried thousands of Bibles uh, so that those Bibles will be available to those people. Now, they, I don't know. They may be rotted out by now. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting uh, that at his own expense, he did that so that the people would have the Word of God to read while they were uh, waiting the Messiah to come and deliver them. And he will because he stops those days. Those days will be stopped. Now this, it's an interesting, let me go over here to my Greek text. Um, it says here, will be shortened. Okay. Uh, because of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now that's a that's a sign that cut short. It's how how can you say it? Um, abbreviated. In other words, it's going to be stopped right there. Um, it's the events are happening, but that's it. No more. I'll give you, a, this is a crude example, I guess, illustration. I was uh, co-director of a, a national uh, karate tournament at State Fairgrounds in Birmingham. This would have been in, were we married then? I don't think so. So this would have been before 1975. I can't remember exactly, early 70s. People were there from all over the country big arena where all these different uh, circles were drawn and that's the, the arena where they were fighting. They were eliminating one another to get to the grand championship that night. Hundreds of competitors, hundreds and hundreds of spectators and um, 
two of the high-ranking karate guys got in a fight. Now, they were the masters. They were the ones who brought their students by the hundreds. <laughs> one of them was a Korean man. The other one was a Japanese man. And they got into a, a fight out in the parking lot. And so you had black belts on one group and black belts from another group. And all this confusion was beginning to ensue. But a guy made a mistake. Some guy went to his car and pulled out a nine millimeter, a Browning high power nine millimeter, and was waving it around, telling everybody. Well, the guy that was head of the fairgrounds called Birmingham City Police, and they sent their SWAT team. <laughs> Because you had hundreds of karate guys, right? And you had one crazy karate guy with a gun. And the other guys were competing with sticks and knives, you know, when you do forms and all. So I'm, I'm at the head table here. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be keeping records and all. And these guys in these black suits, BDUs, whatever, coming from everywhere, got these helmets on. And they got AR-15s and everything. They're just coming from everywhere, shotguns and... And they're coming from everywhere. They swarmed all over this place. There must have been a hundred of them. I don't know. They came from everywhere. And they dispersed the crowd out in the uh, parking lot. And this guy that was head of the fairgrounds, all of a sudden, all the lights shut off. Everything shut off. All the electricity was cut off in the building. And this guy was irritated. Uh, and so between him and the commander of the SWAT, they got out there and told everybody, this is over. This event is over. It's over. Just like that. I mean, you still had a lot that was, it was a lot was going on, which was supposed to be a, leading into a lot of other things that were going on. Didn't happen. They shut it down just like that. That's the word. Okay. Cut off. Cut short. That's the word. Uh, the world will be in a karate tournament. <laughs> And the Lord will send his SWAT angels and himself, he will say, stop it. It's over. That's what that's how that's the description of the word here. It is stopped. Why? For the sake of the elect. God's calendar has come to that day. And it doesn't matter what man thinks he's going to do after that day. He ain't going to do it. That day brings the time when it's cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him for false Christs. We're going to find out why. Listen, when it's Jesus coming, <laughs> you ain't going to be no mistake. Behold, here's the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe him for false Christs and false prophets will rise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now this is all in the tribulation. Behold, I've told you in advance. Therefore, if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. What it is, they're trying to expose where the true believers are, trying to draw them out, right? Or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and appears even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now that verse 28, let me address that first. 
I've, there, there are all kinds of ways that people have looked at this and what that's supposed to mean. Um, actually, let me go on and then it'll, it'll make sense. We'll go back to that. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Okay, now what happened? He just cut it short. The great tribulation is over. It's over. That's it. For the sake of the elect. Immediately, when that's over, the, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Okay. Darkness all over the world. There is no light at all. Darkness. The only thing that you can see is shooting stars. Some kind of heavenly bodies falling from the sky. Powers of the heavens shaken. So that the appearance of the nightscape in the sky is, is different. It's shifting. Something's wrong. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Let me stop there. This is the sign of the Son of Man. You understand that? Here it is. Everything keeps, all this bad stuff's going on all over the world, and all these people are trying to draw out the believers. The believers are hunkered down, and everything's going all over the world, and then there's going to be this Armageddon thing, and all the people are going to say, we're going to fight him, we're going to stop him. And they're drawing their way to Armageddon. Everything goes dark. So does Dark. that mean no electricity? That means nothing. Okay. No fires. No. That means that the father of all EMP bombs has just set one off. That's what that means. <laughs> Here's why. The sign of the Son of Man. That means the only thing you can see, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, the only thing you can see is the coming of the Son of Man. That's why I said earlier, Jesus says, don't worry. If they say he is here or he is there, don't believe it. You're going to get the show of all shows and it ain't them, right? So that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He is the sign of the Son of Man. Then what happens? Tribes of the earth mourn. See the Son of Man coming clouds of the sky with power and great. I mean, this is unparalleled power. This is absolute power and great glory. This is the first manifestation of the full uh, exposure of the glory of God the Son. They caught a glimpse of it on Transfiguration. Um, they caught a glimpse of it, I believe, in His ascension because Christ had prayed Restore the glory to me that I had before the foundation of the world. But this is the fullness of all of it. You remember what they asked in their questions? Uh, the, the, your, your presence, you know, what will be the sign of your appearing? And we talked about what that word meant. The fullness of all that he is, right? Here it is. This is, this is part of that answer. And so all the world gets shook up and well, they should. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, let me go back briefly. Um, it's impossible to deceive the elect, but there's going to be such demonstration of deception 
that if it was possible, even the elect would be deceived. And that's when he says, don't go where they say that I am. You don't, because it'll be like lightning around the world. Then it says that strange thing, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The best explanation I've seen is this. Whenever you see a gathering of vultures, you can know that something's happening over there and they're all together in it. And it draws your attention to it. You'll know when the Son of Man comes that uh, there will be this, the sign of the Son of Man and you will know what's going on. There won't be any doubt in your mind about what's going on. So then he gathers his elect from the four winds, one in the sky uh, to the other. Now learn parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth, puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, my words will not pass away. What generation is he talking about? The people who are alive at the tribulation. Those, that gen- Yes, ma'am. Um, it says the elect. Uh-huh. And it's talking to Jews. It's talking. It's talking of the of the time of the of those seven years. Yeah. Is he talking about those who have become believers? Uh, have, you know, because usually elect is specifically for the Jews. If that's what he's well, talking, the context is talking. About. It's talking about those gathered into Israel. Remember, there are one hundred forty-four thousand who go out, and they are identified with the twelve tribes. Yes. Right. So there is a connection between the 12 tribes and the Gentiles, but there will be Gentiles who will come to believe. Uh, but it's just like in the Old Testament. For example, Caleb, he's a great hero, right? Caleb, uh, he was one of the 12 spies, and only he and Joshua remained alive from that generation to go into Canaan. And Caleb, he's the one who says, I want that mountain. I'm going to take the most difficult and prettiest place there is. Caleb. Caleb is one of the two who said when they brought it up for a vote, the committee brought back the report. It looks good. Ten of the twelve said, but we better not try it. Two of the twelve said, we can do anything with God. Caleb was one of those two. You remember Caleb? Yeah. Caleb was not an Israelite. Right. He was an Edomite. So does that mean anybody who has believed? I think so. Yes, because it's a it is not the church. See, it's tribulation. You have to call them tribulation saints. And, of course, mostly inclusive, I think, of Israel, but, but of others as well. And many of the Gentiles, they'll have already been killed who were believers. Because you have, when one of the, you know, when one of the seals is broken, you have the early tribulation saints appear. And the, who are these? These are they who have come out of great tribulation. And they came from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. And then they get to saying, when are you going to avenge us? You know, when? And Christ said, just a little longer. Just hold on. It's you, you're going to see something that you're going to appreciate. 
because I'm going to slaughter them. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, uh, my words will not pass away. Okay. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. At that moment in time, Christ could not have known. Christ volunteered himself to become a man. He does the will of the Father. Now, you would ask the question, okay, he didn't know then. Does he know now? I would say yes. That's, that's my response. Now, but he didn't know then. And the angels, and the angels didn't know. Uh, because in his ascension, Christ, Christ was restored to a glorification that was likened to what he had before the foundation of the world. And now he is back with the Father. There's an old, you know, the old truth is it's told, and this was the way it was back in those days of Christ. Um, the uh, the bride, the the groom to be would would find the woman of his dreams. He would go to her father. This would be in a Jewish setting, and he would go to the father, and he would say, "I want her to be my bride," and he would pour two cups of wine and push one in front of her. If she drunk it, if she took a sip of it, she accepted what he wanted and then the father would then approve or disapprove. If she would take, he would take a sip. If she would take a sip, the father would approve. Then he would say, I'm leaving now. I'm going to go prepare our place. And it's just for you. When I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to where I am so that wherever I am, there you will be. Now, he adds this apartment or whatever you want to call it onto the father's house. So he gets to work on it. Somebody comes along and he says, oh, when's the big day? You got to ask my father. I don't really know. My father's going to have to approve this place. And when he approves it and he says, he'll say, son, go get your bride. Then I'll go. And, and get my bride. So Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Christ comes. The Father knows exactly all of the things. I think personally that it's been shared with the Son because they're inseparable as Godhead. But I'll take it any way it comes. <laughs> okay? Um, but the angels do not know. Just as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two in the field, one taking the other left, two women will be grinding grain at the mill, one taking the other left. Now you have to understand, the one who is taken is taken to judgment. This is not the rapture of the church. This is at the very end of the tribulation. The church will have been raptured seven years earlier or so. So when, when he comes and everybody is trembling and people, people were doing what they were doing and the darkness fell and then Christ reveals himself and appears in glory, wherever they are, the unrighteous one is taken 
and the righteous one is left. They are taken into judgment. Now we get into that more clearly in Matthew 25, and we're not going to get to Matthew 25 this morning, today, okay? What time is it? It's 10.15. Okay. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known in what time the night of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and prudent slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he doesn't expect him and in an hour which he doesn't know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not only in the tribulation, but I would say this is, of course, applicable to, uh, to the church as well. A great part of our faith is knowing that he's coming again, uh, that it's imminent. And the, our prayer, our prayer should be that, uh, <laughs> that it's today. That's mine. Okay. That, that ends, that ends chapter 24, right? Okay. Well, we're going to stop there.